بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده على نعمة الإسلام وعلى نعمة النفس ونعمة العقل ونعمة الدين نحمده على نعم لا منقطعة ولا منتهية نحمده وهو العلي العظيم وسبحان الله الذي هدانا والذي من علينا بهدي هذا الدين والله أكبر الله أكبر على كل متجبر وفاسد وعلى أهل الكفر وطبع الكفر ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الأمين وخاتم النبيين وعلى من اتبعه وعلى آله وأصحابه وعلى من تبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Every week there is so much that passes by the Muslim world So much that takes place in the Muslim world, so much that takes place in what is supposed to be a single ummah, a single ummah that is bonded by faith and bonded by a deep sense of compassion and empathy for one another, unbonded by a common cause and a common purpose, the ummah that collectively embodies and represents Islam on this earth. In the same way that the very purpose, the very aspiration, the very hope, the ultimate thing that this ummah is supposed to work towards is to come to know Allah, to come to know Allah, and to come to know one another in Allah. But knowing Allah is impossible without love, without loving Allah. Obedience, strict obedience, if it is unthinking and unfeeling, is a form of hypocrisy towards Allah. You could obey 
but if you obey with a heart that is not clear and not understanding and not accepting, that obedience is a form of hypocrisy. It's a form of deception. It's a form of lying. You obey because you are calculating the benefits and costs for entirely selfish and idiosyncratic and narcissistic purposes. While that obedience is better than disobedience. But on the moral plane, it is not a lofty objective. If you do not learn to be truthful towards your Lord, you do not learn to be a truthful human being. A person who obeys solely out of fear is a person that by definition will not come to know the Lord, will not come to know Allah. In a word, that person lacks sutq ma'Allah, sutq, truthfulness, that quality, that honesty. To have that relationship, you must commit yourself first to transparency and honesty about your relationship with Allah. And to commit oneself to transparency and honesty in one's relationship with Allah is to commit yourself to something other than simple, blind, unthinking, unfeeling obedience. As an ummah, that is supposed to be our aspiration. And if we are diligently working towards that aspiration, Sincerity and honesty and truthfulness in our journey towards the Lord, in our aspiring and reaching out to not just obeying but pleasing God, we learn to be truthful human beings. And if we are truthful human beings, the bonds between the ummah itself grows and becomes sincere and truthful bonds. It becomes an ummah that is accustomed, accustomed, 
to being truthful about itself and with itself. So much happens every week that affects our ummah. And yet, when you look at the discourses of this ummah, at what this ummah is talking about, you do not get a sense of that transparency and truthfulness at all. In fact, it seems like the ummah is in a state of cognitive dissonance, a state of collective denial. Whatever happens, happens, and yet what the representatives of this ummah continue talking about does not show a real engagement either with themselves, with others, or indeed with God. I've touched upon this in the past, but I want to focus on certain aspects of it today. How could it be that with all that confronts our Muslim Ummah in today's world, you go from one Jum'ah after another, and you find that the Khatibs at Jum'ah speak of nothing that connects to the real living life which we exist in. It is not an exaggeration to say that if we take Jumas as a yardstick, that our Jumas exist in a state of complete artificiality. Artificial in the sense that we talk about abstract ideas without any attempt to relate the abstract ideas to our practical lives. It is like if you approach a child who has never seen two things added to two other things, never actually held little balls to count, never actually learned writing, never actually owned anything that they can apply, utilize, to learn the concept of mathematics, and you try to teach that child the ideas of mathematics without ever attempting any practical application. Regardless of how much mathematics that child learns, without the mind that exercises, that in, because it, it, it's an intellectual exercise, without the mind's ability to engage in the intellectual exercise of conceptualizing the practical effects of mathematics, 
that child can never learn mathematics. The way we handle our discourses in the Muslim Ummah is very much like that. We could talk about taqwa, but no one attempts to actually demonstrate what the practical effects of taqwa either in one's relationship with God could be or in our practical life, lived life could be. Ironically, in the state of artificiality that has become like a viral infection that plagues our jumas and our discourses, The state of artificiality and I've mentioned this in the past, which is completely the antithesis and the opposite of the Sunnah of the Prophet in the way that the Prophet applied the practice of Jummah. The sunnah of the Prophet was that Jum'ah was a demonstrative example of how the concepts of Iman are applied to the practicalities of existence of our, in our life. But all of those people who speak about hadith and sunnah and so on make no effort to follow the sunnah of the Prophet Ironically, one of the most often, most often quoted Quranic passages that teaches Muslims the artificiality of religion and indeed the artificiality of their entire existence. One of the most often quoted Quranic passages that teaches Muslims the lack of self-determination. Self-determination is a very critical concept because you cannot engage in self-determination without truthfulness with yourself about yourself and truthfulness with others and truthfulness indeed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the most often quoted Quranic verses that disempowers Muslims and robs them of their sense of self-determination that basically tells them the way you practice your faith should be subservient to those in power, in charge of you. 
And therefore, those in charge of you should decide all material things that affect your life. And your job is to simply do rituals without ever trying to turn these rituals into means of empowerment that determines the course of your fate. Your fate towards yourself, your fate towards others, and your fate towards Allah. That this autonomy, self-determinative autonomy, ought to be left to those in power, not to you. The irony is that these Quranic verses are in Surah An-Nisa. They're um, 58-59 of Surah An-Nisa. Which start this way, and I'm first going to say them in Arabic. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَنْ تُؤَدُّوا الْأَمَانَاتِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا وَإِذَا حَكَمْتُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ أَنْ تَحْكُمُوا بِالْعَدْلِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ نِعِمَّا يَعِذُكُمْ بِهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Okay, so far so good. Allah commands you to be trusty with your trusts. If someone entrusts you with something, be truthful and be honest. And to judge justly, to be just, to pursue, to commit yourself to justice. And that Allah shows you the path of ethics and goodness. So far, so good. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. أَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولَ وَأُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ Now here we come to, to the hot part. O believers, obey Allah, obey the Prophet, and obey أُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ Obey your rulers, those who rule over you. Hardly a week goes by without hearing these verses, not the penultimate verses that say rule by justice or commit yourself to justice, but no, not these penultimate verses, but rather the verses that say obey God and obey the prophet and obey the rulers. And time and again, whether we are dealing with, with Trump and his new Muslim ban, or we're dealing with the rise of the right-wing party in England, 
or we're dealing with Haftar in Libya, or we're dealing with Sisi in Egypt, or we're dealing with MBZ in the Emirates, or we're dealing with MBS in Saudi, or we're dealing with any context you can imagine. You hear our glorified Imams tell you, Brother, sister, Allah said, obey Allah, obey the prophet, obey the rulers. Now the implication here is that obedience to Allah is the obedience to the rulers rather is the equivalent or equal to, to obeying Allah and the prophet. So indeed, When you say, wait, what is going on in the holy lands? How could it be that the Hijaz, the land of the Prophet ﷺ, has so-called halal bars opened all over the Hijaz, has the likes of Mariah Carey and, and company and similar dancing and singing and not the, the music is not what's wrong. The type of immodest, highly sexualized dancing and singing take place in the lands of Hijaz. How could it be that we have Emirati officers and military torture and rape and maim human beings in Yemen. And when the international court commences an investigation and demands and calls certain people war criminals, and they demand that they be tried as war criminals, the rulers of the Emirates say, we don't want a discussion of this issue and our imams come and say, oh, obey your rulers. Obey Allah, the Prophet, and the rulers. Don't, don't ask questions. Don't talk about it in khutbahs. Don't raise issues about what Saudiya does in the Hijaz. Whatever Saudiya does in the Hijaz, the Ulil Amr have, if you say why in Egypt is the Egyptian government destroying mosques, they've destroyed 2,000 mosques built 500 churches. How could the Egyptian government destroy the homes of people in Sina? Displace the inhabitants of Sina. You get the same response. Brother, obey Allah, the prophet, and the rulers. Well, I am here today now in what could be theologically one of the most important khutbahs I give. I'm here to tell you that that understanding of this Quranic passage is a complete and total corruption of Allah's revelation. And every imam that cites this Quranic passage 
to justify injustice, suffering, and inhumanity, and to justify narcissism and self-interest and the destruction and un and and de the deconstruction of the Muslim Ummah or the unpacking of the Muslim Ummah is a corruption. First, before anything else, just complete the verses to all these Imams. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, atiyahu Allah, wa atiyahu Rasoola, wa uli al-amri minkum. فَإِنْ تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمُنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ ذَلِكَ خَيْرٌ وَأَحْسَنَ تَأْوِيلًا So first, yes, it tells you obey. Obey Allah, obey the Prophet, and Uli Al-Amr, and we'll come to Uli Al-Amr. But first, it gives you a penultimate statement. A penultimate statement in Hakamtum Bayna Nas and Tahkumu Bilag. That if you rule, if you rule by if you rule in any thing that has to do with the affairs of human beings, if you judge anything, it has to be according to the principle of justice. That's the penultimate statement. Second comes obey God. Not first, but second comes obey God, the Prophet, and Ulil Amr. And we'll, we'll come back to Ulil Amr. But if you disagree about something, disagree about who's going to, who, who does it refer to, who's it referring to when it says disagree about something? We're going to disagree with God? We're going to disagree with the Prophet? No. If you people disagree amongst yourself, including if the rulers disagree with you, if you and the rulers disagree over something, if you and Ulil Amr then who should be our constitutional reference? The principle of Allah and the Rasul. The principle is that our frame of reference is Allah, God, and the Prophet Now, we don't stop here. We don't cut a part of Allah's revelation and pick and choose. We continue with Allah's message. Then it tells us, أَلَمْ تَرَى إِلَى الَّذِينَ يَزْعَمُونَ أَنَّهُمْ آمَنُوا بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ Okay, so now it's talking about hypocrisy. And it's saying, don't you see those who claim that they believe? But they're not sincere believers. Why? What is the cause of the insincerity? What is the proof of the insincerity? يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَتَحَاكَمُوا إِلَى الطَّاغُوتِ وَقَدْ أُمْرُوا أَنْ يَكْفُرُوا بِهِ 
Because when it comes to real issues, when it comes to where the rubber meets the road, their frame of reference, what they want, what they ultimately yield their self-determination to, ultimately what they are willing to go with, to obey, is taghut. And what does taghut mean? Taghut is despotism. Taghut is injustice. Taghut is oppression. Taghut is deception and lies. Taghut is every corruption, every facade. So, first, Allah gives us a penultimate statement. Your guide is justice. It is as if Allah wants to tell us, you want to stay with Allah and the Rasul, you want to stay with God and the Prophet, be very mindful of your objective, and your objective is justice. In principle, you should be you should aspire to obey Allah, the Prophet, and whoever's in charge. However, if there are disagreements, you must have a method. A method, a procedure, an institution, an instrumentality to resolve these disputes so that taghut will not prevail. Taghut, so that corruption and despotism and oppression and injustice, because all of that is within the meaning of taghut. And if you have a society in which taghut prevails, then you're hypocrites. The other point, notice that Allah tells us, obey Allah, the Prophet, those that you consider to be your rulers, amongst you, not over you. So in other words, there must be a process, an instrumentality by which one can legitimately to be said that they represent the will of the people. Because if they do not represent the will of the people, then they are not ulil amr minna. They're ulil amr alayna. They rule over us, but they don't represent us. So Allah made it clear in Surah An-Nisa that those who rule over you must in fact represent you. Minkum. But beyond that, your compass, your rudder, the course of your life is justice. And if there is conflict between you Taghut, injustice and oppression must not prevail. So I tell all those pontificating, loud, noisy imams everywhere, 
from Libya to Egypt to Yemen to Zaytuna here in the U.S. that tells you obey Trump because he's the imam. Sorry. Sorry, we don't obey despots. We don't obey tyrants. You don't understand Allah's book and Allah's command. Allah taught me that Allah and the Prophet are justice. Anything that is unjust cannot be part of Allah and the Prophet Anything that involves secret prisons and torture and sexual assaults and disappearances and suffering cannot be a part of Allah and the Prophet and the Sunnah of the Prophet. Cannot be. It is part of Taghut. Taghut is part of the devil. It is demonic. So sorry. No to Trump and his despotism. No to Sisi and his despotism. No to Haftar and his despotism. No to MBS and his despotism. No to MBZ as their despotism because they are all Tahut. Not Ulil Amr Minna. Understand so that we stop corrupting our religion. Our religion never rubber stamp despotism and tyrants. Never. And those so-called imams that use Allah's book to undermine Allah's book should have no place amongst us. But you make a difference because you decide which imam to follow. You decide which khutbah to listen to. You decide which discourse to support and sanctify and if you support Tahut, if you support the wrong past, the past of tyrants and oppressors, then you are amongst the Tahut. You are one of them. You are in fact part of the Tahut problem, not part of the solution. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وتبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين. So many issues, so many issues confront our Muslim ummah. the law of tyrants and the law of despotism and the law of suffering and oppression and blind obedience because blind obedience is tahut. You want to fight tahut? Thinking, loving obedience is your path. I will obey, but I must understand. I will obey, but I must love. If you don't earn my respect and you don't earn my understanding and you don't earn my love, I will not obey. That's how you resist Tawud. That's how you raise your children to be proud Muslims. 
to say in our Islam, we don't talk about mysteries, the mysteries of the Trinity. We don't talk about racial affiliations and, and tribal loyalty. We talk, um, we talk about enlightenment, understanding, love. That's what we talk about. Look. Look at the nature of our, our religion. We all know about the coronavirus and the affliction that has hit the world. Subhanallah, need I remind you that this is the religion that 1400 years ago 1400 years ago the prophet said if you are in a place in a town in a city and the place becomes afflicted by the plague neither enter nor leave Neither enter nor leave. In other words, quarantine. You don't leave the town and you don't enter the town. Of course, it is not remarkable in our day and age, but it is remarkable that this is the Prophet ﷺ teaching the procedure for quarantine 1400 years ago. And when the Prophet ﷺ was asked, but if we stay in the city, we might die. And he's, uh, he taught, his response was, yes, you might die. But then you are sacrificing yourself for the good of others and you die a martyr. It is only a Muslim, only a Muslim that might be in a city or a town where they find the plague has spread and say, I can't hurt other human beings. I can't put myself ahead of others and run away and sneak out of the city and spread the infection. Only a Muslim that will say, my religion commands me to think of the good of others, to love others, to care about others. And as a result, if I get sick and die, I die a martyr. Is this the religion of blind obedience? Is this the religion of idiocy and ignorance on Tawhut? A religion that taught the ethics of humanity before philosophical ethics matured to what it claims to be today. I want to make a quick comment about this issue of the, the plague, of the corona plague, and there are a couple of other things I want to comment on very quickly. So, you know, th there's this whole issue that you find people talking about, is it a punishment from God or not a punishment from God? I don't know if it's a punishment from God or not. But what I know That Allah teaches us that whatever afflicts people 
as Allah says, وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمَمٍ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ فَأَخَذْنَاهُمْ بِالْبَأْسَاءِ وَالضَّرَّاءِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَضَرَّعُونَ That whatever hardship afflicts, afflicts people, it is an opportunity for these people to reflect upon their own faults and their own failures and perhaps work to improve themselves. So I hope that the Chinese use the opportunity and the rest of the world use the opportunity to think carefully about the immorality of eating and mistreating animals the way they are mistreated. Have you ever seen the Chinese markets and the way they treat chickens and pigs and ducks? It is unbelievable cruelty. And this cruelty, when an animal is terrified before the animal dies, there are certain chemicals released in the body of the animal because of that terror that effectively poisons the blood. And as Muslims, we were, Allah has forbade us from eating terrified animals, mistreated animals, tortured animals. And Allah forbade us from eating animals that have fangs, like bats. You hope that this is an opportunity for people to reflect upon the fact that they are not entitled to mistreat God's creatures under the excuse. Now leave alone things that are completely repulsive like eating dogs, which is tarut in itself. You're eating, thinking, feeling, fully developed animals that Allah did not create for human consumption. Moreover, and one cannot forget that right before this plague, I was among those who are calling upon world governments and and various companies to boycott China because of what China is doing to Muslims. To boycott Chinese products because of what Chinese or the Chinese government is doing to Muslims in East Turkestan. And subhanAllah, this plague comes and all the companies that we were asking to institute a boycott terminated their trade with China. The financial losses upon China are much greater than anything we imagined could take place because of a boycott. It's an opportunity to reflect and ponder whether punishment or not punishment, that's not my business. But it is an opportunity to grow to improve, to fix past sins and past mistakes. And the same applies to all of us as human beings. Whenever al-ba'sa' wa hardship 
and suffering afflicts us, it's either you could crumble and go to the dark side, let yourself go, or you use the opportunity to reflect and ponder and think about the path you've taken in life, what you've done right and what we've done wrong, and whether you can improve yourself. So many issues, so I'm going to have to pick. I would be very remiss if I didn't focus on an issue that keeps popping up but has reached unbearable levels. Recently, there was a documentary in a Jazeera about the 1979 siege of Mecca. For those of who don't know briefly, there was a man called Raimin or something like that. That name doesn't matter. That group believed that in the Mahdi al-Muntazir, in the awaiting Messiah, and they, they occupied Mecca, took hostages in Mecca, and according to the Saudi government, after two weeks, the Saudi government uh, stormed the Haram and defeated the rebels, and eventually they, they, they arrested about 60 people and they executed them. What we learn from a documentary shown in the Jazeera is that, in fact, it wasn't the Saudi army that undid the siege of Mecca, that defeated the siege of Mecca, but it was the Saudi army with the help of French special forces. And for many, many years, for decades, this is from 1979, we had heard rumors that the Saudis used French special forces, but there was no proof of it. And what Jazeera did is actually produced the proof. It produced the testimony of the French soldiers who participated in undoing the siege of Mecca. The part that alarmed me the most and made me think of a Taghut and the nature of a Taghut is at the time Saudi Arabia said 300 people were killed. That included the rebels who took, who instituted the siege and included the pilgrims that might have died in the siege who were taken as hostages by the rebels. We learn from the documentary in Al Jazeera that in fact not 300 people were killed in Mecca, but 5,000 people. So I started calling Saudi friends who are in the know and asked them, is it true that 5,000 people were killed and to my great 
chagrin and sadness, they told me, actually, we Saudis knew this from way back, long before Al Jazeera broadcasted its program, and that, in fact, they knew that what happened was the Saudi forces, after the French paratroopers ended the siege, they couldn't tell the difference between the rebels and the pilgrims because they got all mixed up together. So as the, the, the people were trying to run out of the haram, the Saudi forces started shooting everyone and executing everyone to the point that the French paratroopers started begging them to stop the bloodshed and that they executed about 5,000 people right there in the haram. This is the sanctity of the Kaaba where the Prophet ﷺ forbade the shedding of blood of even an animal. No animal can be slaughtered. Now, I am not going to get into whether that siege in 1979 could have ended and through any other means. But what I do get into is the fact that you have a government that could kill 5,000 people right there in the haram. And there is no means, no instrumentality to hold anyone accountable or to even get the truth out. There is no method for an investigation. You have a tyrannical government that will not allow an investigation. There is no way for the light to shed, to break the darkness. There is no way to hold anyone accountable. There is no way to investigate anything. And I ask you, isn't that Tahut? Is that Tahut or not Tahut? When there is lies and untruth, when 5,000 people could be killed in the Kaaba, and there is no means to know who did what, and it's not Muslims who are sitting in France who've earned millions of dollars for doing their military operation who talk about how horrible it was that they saw all these civilians being executed and terminated. Recently, a Saudi woman pops up on YouTube telling us, listen Muslims, even if King Salman opens bars, nightclubs, in Medina and Mecca, you shut up and don't say a word, and all you have to, the only thing you're entitled to is to go into the, the Kaaba, do your pilgrimage, go out, but you can't even say a word about whether King Salman opens nightclubs or bars in Mecca and Medina, or hey, why stop there? Or opens strip clubs, or opens uh, uh, pornography places. In other words, you, it's none of your business. Because King Salman is Ulil Amr, and Ulil Amr is owed obedience, and you all shut up. 
It's not our religion. I don't know what religion that is, but it is not our religion. When 5,000 people are slaughtered and you are told it's none of your business, shut up. When people are tortured in Yemen and you are told and raped in secret prisons by Saudis and Emiratis and you're told shut up. When people are bombed in Libya and Yemen and murdered and Syria and you're told it's none of your business, shut up. When people are massacred in Rabaa, in Egypt, and you're told it's none of your business, shut up. When the Muslim ban is expanded to include many more Muslim countries, and you're told, focus on your prayer and your salah and your psalm, it's none of your business, shut up. Is this taghut or not taghut? Does this make you learn to be a liar and a hypocrite? Or doesn't it teach you to be a liar and a hypocrite? Our Islam is about justice. Anyone that confronts injustice by talking about la-la land when there's injustice and they're talking about wudu and nawafil and tahara, know that they are a hypocrite and a part of taghut. Because they upheld taghut through their silence. And as the Prophet taught us, as-sakat al-haqq, shaytanun akhras, Someone who is silent before injustice is a muted devil. Is a muted devil. I want to be very clear. I heard Allah the late Khashoggi once said in a famous interview he did If we Muslims stop caring about what happens in Jerusalem, we will also stop caring about what happens in Medina and Mecca. If we Muslims forsake Jerusalem, we Muslims also will forsake Medina and Mecca. What he was talking about is the principle of whether a human being cares about morality and ethics or injustice or not. As we speak today, Saudiya is arresting Palestinians. Why? Because these Palestinians have relatives in Gaza and these relatives have other relatives that have been arrested by Israelis and, and thrown into prison. And the Palestinians in Saudi Arabia send financial assistance to their families in Gaza so what does Saudi Arabia does? It arrests these Palestinians. This just happened this week. And charged them with criminal offenses. Because they're sending money to their families in Gaza, Saudi Arabia charged them as terrorists. And when our reaction, Jerusalem is gone. Palestinians are thrown into prison. 
scholars, brilliant young minds like Ahmed Sabir, who I talked about last Juma, is still in prison in Egypt. Why? Because he dared to, Christ, Christ, to criticize Christianity. When a Muslim, even in a Muslim country, cannot do a scholarly comparison, compare a, 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 a comparative study, scholarly comparative study of religions without being thrown in prison. And our collective reaction as Muslims in our Jum'ahs is to talk about Tahara and Taqwa and Som, then that is Tahut. That is Tahut. That is the embodiment of Tahut. I dream of the day that the way that Muslims react to injustice and ugliness and oppression and tyranny is that you would not go to a single Jum'ah anywhere without finding the imams in every Jum'ah everywhere raising their voices, defending the oppressed, defending the suffering, and speaking out against injustice. And if that day comes, rest assured, Allah will be out with will be on our side and will elevate us to the purified and loving state that Allah intended to, to, for us. Because until we testify for Allah and for justice, we will remain orphaned the way we are. Allahumma afu'anna. Allahumma aghfir lana. Allahumma ahdina waslih halana ya rabbal alameen. اللهم ارفع مقتق وغضبك عن أمة الإسلام يا رب العالمين وهدنا لأقرب من هذا رشدا الله grant us your favor and your peace and your blessings الله teach us your love and implant our heart with your compassion and mercy so that we have empathy and love for all الله Grant us understanding and enlightenment and let your light shine in our hearts and our souls. Ya Rabbal Alameen. Wa aqdus salah.